Hi, I'd like to welcome everyone to a new podcast series which I am really excited about, where I'll be interviewing recognised leaders within the sport, tourism, natural resources, recreation and event planning industries. I've got to know many of these leaders over the past 10 to 15 years and over the past few weeks I've had conversations with many of them and I know that they feel that these they are facing some of the biggest challenges they've ever had to face as leaders. It's hard to think of a range of industries that have been more impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic than the industries I listed above. Sports and events have been cancelled, the tourism industry significantly disrupted worldwide, and parks and recreation facilities, many of which we all love to use, were left to decide whether to close or stay open. And if they did stay open, how, would, how could these leaders manage their facilities safely? In today's podcast, I'll be interviewing one of those leaders, Miss Sally Webberry, one of my close friends here in Raleigh, the CEO and founder of the Special Event Company, and one of the founding members of Teen Cancer America. Over Sally's 30 plus years in the event industry, she's won numerous awards and, in my opinion, generally recognised as one of the world's leading event producers. In today's podcast, Sally's going to share with me um, some of the challenges she's currently facing, some of her insights as to the future of both the event industry and other industries related to our profession, and what leaders need to consider as they start thinking about the future. Okay, well, I want to welcome everyone to the first of a series of podcasts called Leadership in Times of Security and Crisis. I'm very, very excited today to um, to have our first guest, a good friend of mine who I've known for, for quite some time, uh, Miss Sally Webberry, the CEO of the Special Event Company. And uh, I know that I'm excited because I know that um, if I went through a list of her awards, and recognitions we'd spend the entire time going through that but just some of them just some highlights um sally has been named enterprising woman magazine enterprising woman of the year award um special event magazine's top 25 greatest industry influencers of the last 25 years and uh, last year she was awarded a lifetime achievement award from one of the most prestigious event industry organizations in the world i know one of the other things i can't fail to mention because this is sally's big passion as well as being a founding member of many different organizations i know one of her pride and joys is um being one of the founder members of Teen Cancer America um, and her relationship with The Who and Roger Daltrey. So, so welcome, Sally. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be your guinea pig in this venture. <laughs> you know, I just really want to get into, you know, obviously some of the issues that we've been dealing with, you know, and we've had this conversation. It's, for, it's really hard to think of an industry that has been more impacted by the pandemic, the current COVID pandemic um, than the, the corporate and live event planning industry. Mm-hmm. You know, you're obviously taking quite a leadership, you know, role in terms of from an industry perspective. Can you describe the impact it's had on the industry generally and, and, and you as the CEO of TSEC? Yeah, certainly. So, um, so from an industry perspective, I think that we are – we are one of the we were one of the first out and we will be one of the last back in 
because particularly the kind of events that we do at the special event company, you know, we are predominantly corporate, academic. We don't do we don't do social events. We don't. Um, so most of our events tend to be larger, more strategically focused, um, take a longer time in the planning, which has its advantages and disadvantages at the moment, which I'll come to. Um, but it's been, our industry has been absolutely devastated. So there are, so from the event planners and the production companies and the lighting people and the entertainment people and the caterers, and there are, there are, billions of people that work in the hospitality industry around the Sally, I'm, I'm curious, and I've asked this question of, of some other folks, particularly on the facility side, you know, everyone has their emergency action plan, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to plan for these catastrophic events that might occur, a, a hurricane coming through or, um, you know, who knows what else. In your wildest imaginations, did you ever... No. Think that something like this would ever happen? No. So we are, um, we're really good as a company on risk management because, right. and, th- and there's a reason for that, because in Europe, um, events are very, very heavily controlled by government agencies in risk management. So when you're producing events in Europe, it is a legal requirement for you to have a risk management plan before you produce an event. If you don't have one and you have an incident and they can prove that you didn't have one, you can go to prison. So you kind of take it pretty seriously. Yeah, here you just get sued, but there you go to prison. Yeah, exactly. So so the, 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 the thing that astonishes me and still astonishes me is how, how, risk management in the US was and up until a few weeks ago remained all about have you got enough insurance in the event of there being an incident well if 20 million dollars is no good to anyone if you're dead you know as far as I'm concerned so so we've always been very proactive and because of that proactive approach we were better prepared than a lot of other companies in terms of the overarching devastation. Um, I also, um, back in the early 2000s, um, when 9-11 hit, even though we were in the, even though I was in the UK still then, I lost a huge amount of money when, after 9-11, just for everything that got cancelled. And, you know, it put me in a very precarious position. That really taught me a lesson. You know, I think there's a great, um, I think there's great truth in the fact of, you know, you can't truly achieve great success until you've tasted great <laughs> failure. <laughs> and I've that, your I, I think that metric applies to just about everybody now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so because of that, because of that incident, we have we've always been very careful as a company. So we've always kept good cash reserves we've all we're very careful about about we we've always had that like rainy day money put away so it's it's not that i didn't ever anticipate anything ever going wrong (laughs) 
I just never could never have anticipated this. I could never have anticipated anything that completely wiped out our business for uh, for an unknown period of time. And and so quickly. I mean, it and just, so quickly. The blink of an eye. So so what's been what's been really interesting is how we've had to if how we've had to really pivot as a business um, to. Into the virtual event space. So, and are you have, are you doing any of these virtual events? Yeah, very much so. But we've had to have. I mean, we have had to go through the quickest learning curve <laughs> that, that I've ever known. Like, you know, point. you're literally learning it as you're doing it. Um, you're doing all these things for the first time. Yeah, yeah well, not not, in- not totally for not totally for the first time because we've always done like webcasting and things like that from from events. So it's not like, right. you know, it's not like somebody suddenly said to me, you know, I want you to learn to become an open heart surgeon. You know, it's something yeah. that the the concept of it we are familiar with because we have always done it, but we've done it as part of a live event experience. It's ne- it's never been this is the event. So we've had to um, we've had to really learn a lot, and we've had to really learn how to make money because you can't, you know, the virtual event space is, you know, a fantastic interim alternative, but it, it's it's not very profitable, mm-hmm. and you know, you don't, you just can't, you just can't make the same revenues. If that is your, if that is your your normal line of business and that is your permanent line of business, you've got to do tons and tons of volume, and you're you've got to do tons of tons of volume in a space where every single person you know has turned to do the same thing, and a quarter of the companies that you've been working with want to do it. Yeah, we were. I was talking about this with someone else in similar line of work. Um, recently and we we said imagine if this had happened say 20 years ago when um the internet was predominantly accessed via dial-up um how would your business have been able to pivot transition then so many other businesses i mean education everything else i think we would have we would have had to shut down we've had to just well let let me make let me let me make an observation on that if this had happened 20 years ago 75% 75% of the people wouldn't have known about it because there wasn't the medium to spread the information. That's interesting, yeah. So so 20 years ago, I don't think it would have had such a, such a dramatic effect because, you know, some of, this, some, of this is, some of this is real, some of this is perception. Some of this is, you know, there's been a huge amount of hype and fear and anguish and not saying that it's not that it's not unwarranted Mm -hmm. but there has been a lot more fear than the reality and it may you know and you know obviously we've just passed this hundred thousand deaths which which is you know a dreadful dreadful place to be but equally you know does it justify shutting basically wiping out loads of different industries not just ours so I think 20 years ago, there wouldn't have been the same level of panic. Yeah, no, good point. Yeah. So 
so in some of the the lessons that you've learned and we had a conversation about this the other day sally in terms of like you know you mentioned before learning through and growing through some of these mm -hmm. events like 9 11. um you know what what do you think you know from your industry's perspective i mean obviously there are other industries that have made similar mistakes but what have you observed that have been some of the mistakes that various organizations within the event planning businesses businesses made and you know some key lessons that you've learned and you've seen from some of these mistakes if you were to give future event producers and event planners um some advice from this gosh i I've learned, I have learned so much in the, in the last two and a half months. So I'm very fortunate to be, um, well, for, for fortunate and for my own sanity. I'm on, I'm on several leadership groups, um, regional, national and international. So I've got a really good handle on what's happening in South Africa and China and the Middle East. And because I'm on a bi-weekly call with with kind of leaders from all across the globe I think the the lessons that that people have learned from it I mean we we I've been shocked by how quickly some of the leading players in our field have have closed their doors hmm. shocked how people do not have the cash resources to survive for two or three months. Um, I think I've learned, I've learned how precariously people run their businesses. <laughs> that not, how people don't plan, how don't, don't plan for the rainy day, you know, no, we, did, we didn't expect a tornado, but you know, there can always be rainy days. It shocked me how, how people don't have any resources, how they're living, you know, basically kind of month to month for, for revenue, which I'm, which, you know, I've never, never done that. But I think people have learned that they can't run their businesses um, with the same expectations of what's going to happen. From a, from a company perspective, I've, I've learned, we've learned an awful lot from a company perspective. So I've, I think just because I'm very old school, I always assumed that we all had to work under the same building. We all had to be in the same place to be able mm. to be effective. And, mm. you know, I've, I have never been, um, I've never been a fan of remote workers. I've always thought we have to have this place to go to. I've been, shocked and surprised at how effectively my team have worked remotely hmm. um, and I'd say even more so in in some in some situations um, I've learned to trust more I've learned to trust that people are, do what they say they're going to do I've been quite shocked oh. <laughs> at how easy it is for people to hide behind a corporate setup and people that when they're left to their own devices actually don't innovate particularly well what do you mean by that sally hide behind corporate so what, so what i mean by that is i mean that people um you know people come into a place of work and they're being and they're being paid to work for eight nine hours a day and 
providing they feel that eight or nine hours a day. <laughs> what I've learned and what I'm, I'm not, what I'm learning for that. Let me, let me put that into context. I'm not saying that any of our people are, are bad. What I'm saying is we can, they could be equally as productive in three hours as they can be in eight hours. So, so it, let me, offer an analogy. So I go into my office, I'm in my office for eight hours a day. I've, yep. I've achieved the, the level of responsibility work that is expected of me. I can go home now and feel good about what I've done because I was there for eight hours. Absolutely. Now that they're home, you're measured and evaluated by what you actually produce, Completely. Not, Absolutely. not where you are by not physically being in the office. And, and it's kind of interesting. I've had so many discussions with my daughter. My daughter works for a big, um, she works for a big live event agency um, in London. And they are, they're, they're way more hip and trendy than us. You know, they're sort of, and they are, you know, you can basically go in when you need to go in and go in in your jeans and your t-shirt and you know I've sort of sometimes I've called her in the morning and I've like been horrified by like so that so the Googles uh, and the Facebooks and the Twitter yeah absolutely and she's like said you know she's really good at she's really good at what she does and she's like well this why does this stop me being able to do what I what I can do so so I've had a really completely different outlook on how you can be efficient how you can be effective in a remote scenario. And I'm not sure that I'll ever go back to that. Let's all go to this big temple model. So basically, you're never too old to, to change and learn. Yeah, complete one, 100%. One, you know, it's, it's interesting. The last big, um, the last massive learning that I did was, uh, I can't remember, maybe four or five years ago, we were asked really last minute we were we were asked to produce a big conference in los angeles for 700 attendees with disabilities it was a it was a comp it was a conference that brings disability recognition to corporations and of these 400 of these 700 attendees at least 60 percent of them had some form of physical disability because dis they, they were predominantly disability officers who tend to be have some sort of limited movement or speech or sight or something. So the learning curve for that conference was so massive on how to effectively deal with people with disabilities. And it really completely changed the way that we as a company approach events forever, no matter what event we do. And you also said in conversations we had, it changed your perception Complete, of, 100%, 100%. of who, whether you would hire someone with a disability. One, absolutely, 100%. One, 100%. It changed, it changed my outlook so dramatically um, just on the challenges that people, that people face that I had never even considered. Um, and this is, you know, I can I can only liken this experience at the moment to that experience that it has fundamentally changed how we will operate as a business. Um, and while there have been significant disadvantages for this 
current pandemic and this current situation we all find ourselves in, I can equally see, I can see some advantages as well because we can operate more remotely. We can, we can have way less overhead. We can, which ultimately trickles down to, you know, trickles down to the, to the, to the customer and trickles down to our own bottom line. You know, we can be leaner, we can hire, we can hire the right people to do the job rather than making sure that we have enough jobs to keep all the people that we have employed in our temple. (laughs) Um, You know, we are are still so in the midst of trying to figure this all out, but there will be significant fundamental changes for our industry as a whole that comes from this. And, And what's kind of interesting is geographically, the perception of how long this is going to last, how it changes. So people, the West Coast is way more pessimistic than the East Coast. Hmm. And I think that would be the same for countries as well. Probably. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're actually far more optimistic in the UK. So I've got, you know, I have some friends who own venues in the UK that are basically literally fully booked from August onwards, are fully booked for the rest of the year mm-hmm. because people are expecting it to, uh, expecting this to, to kind of rebound quite quickly. I don't think it will rebound that quickly, but I hope I'm wrong. So uh, I'm hearing a theme emerging here that, that what you're saying is that, um, particularly in the event industry, those that are willing to learn have adopted a learning management style are going to fare much better through this than those that have been stuck in their ways and say, this is the only way we can do our business. If we can't do it that way, then we don't do it. Well, there is no option. I think that's, I don't think, I don't think it's a choice, Michael. I don't think it's a choice matter. I think that the, the only events that will happen in the next few months will be smaller social smaller meetings yeah um i don't think it's a choice i think it's a case of change or don't exist any longer but i think i think as well sally i mean the the there are some lessons that we're learning through this pandemic that even if there's a vaccine and we move past this pandemic there may be other fairly drastic issues that hit industries in the future mm-hmm. so some of the lessons that we take from this how can they be sort of solidified as we move forward in case other things happen i think that we're i think that there's going to be a a big shift i hope there's a big shift in values hmm. you know i think that from this we are all we are all reevaluating our, our work-life balance. We are all reevaluating what we spend and how we spend it. We're all reevaluating how we interact with our friends and our family. I mean, I would imagine that there's there's hardly a person listening to this that hasn't reached out to a friend that they haven't spoken to for some considerable time. And would never have spoken to had this not been an issue. 
So it's almost like we're kind of coming back to some to some values that we had, and maybe there's you know, maybe there's some kind of divine thing that says enough's enough. <laughs> stop this. You're all too you know. You're not the Roman Empire. Stop behaving like it. Um, I think our, I think our whole value proposition is going to change, which will trickle down into how we run our businesses, how we interact with our staff, how our teams interact with each other, how people interact with their customers. You know, it almost brings us all down to a more human level because it doesn't matter what you've got. It's, it means nothing when you're, you're potentially in danger of having nothing, including your life. So that's, that's interesting because I've heard that from other people. And, and there was a sort of a semblance after 9-11 that people were going to rethink their values and how we treat each other because of this tragedy. And there was a semblance of that. But then there's, um, there's um, you know, are we going to move back to kind of normality again, right? I don't, th- I think it will be a very long time before we mm. move back to reality. I mean, I think, I think in my business, it will come back. I, I, I believe that come next year there's going to be a big resurgence <laughs> well i'm hoping there is certainly well, but... be- because it's human nature we've talked about this with yeah. sport events and sport facilities you are not going to be able to keep people away from each other and keep people away from going to mm-hmm. events because it's innate you know we are driven to that we want that i mean you look back i don't care what point in history you look back at those have stood the test of time right Events mm-hmm. that bring people together, common interest to celebrate something, to watch something have endured. So they will endure this as well. I have a great, I have just, I have just a great kind of analogy on that. So, which really, which really brings that home. So my husband, um, I say my husband's a, my husband's going back on the PGA tour resumes in a, in a couple of weeks and he's getting ready to go back on the tour without any spectators. Right. So we were listening to Rory McIlroy talk the other day about the Ryder Cup and talking about is the Ryder Cup going to happen and is the Ryder Cup not going to happen? And he said the Ryder Cup only exists because of the people, or because of the fans. You know, and with, you know, my, my husband, he's been in the Ryder Cup. Without the, without the people, that tournament is nothing. You know, without the people cheering for their side, rooting for their people, it's nothing. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting what these sporting events lose when there's no people there. there, There'll be a transition period, right? I think initially people are just so hungry to watch that Mm -hmm. they'll watch on TV, but, but people don't realize, have not realized the importance of having fans there, even for the television viewer experience. You know, when someone scores a goal and you can, you don't hear the crowd cheering, it doesn't mean as much. 100%. And, he, and, for, and for them, when they're competing, you know, particularly, Grant said, you know, particularly when you're in the hunt, when you're kind of leading, you, when you're in the lead of the tournament, even though you actually kind of blank the crowds out, when you get to those like 7th, 16th, 17th, 18th holes. Yeah. And you've got that adrenaline of the crowd. It's the crowd that keeps you going to 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 want to win. Yeah. So, w- it- will you still sing during soccer matches at home, 
even though there's not going to be anybody in the stands to sing. <laughs> I, we actually, he actually does sing along to soccer matches here. I have to say, yes. we won't stop doing that. <laughs> We've always done that remotely. <laughs> and I think, I think you know, to, to use the the sport analogy, I think the three of us, well, me, Grant and I were were at the last live sporting soccer game before they shut everything down. So you were indeed, you were indeed. You were. So um, you know, Sally, we've we've got time for just one more quick question um, just to end this. So I always talk about, you know, leadership and, and in our field, um, you know, staff are really critical. And for many of these organizations, it's been one of the most painful things, you know, to both, you know, engage staff that are going through the fear of losing their job and, and or being furloughed or, you know, that uncertainty. Um, and there's been some organizations that made some incredibly painful decisions involving staff. What advice would you give leaders of these organizations, you know, in the leisure industry or the event planning industry or the sport industry, um, particularly both managing their staff right now through this uncertainty, but also thinking about also gearing up, right? Like um, this pandemic's not going to last forever. And, 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 you, and many organizations want to gear up. I know you talked about the event industry trickling back, but some of these other organizations may need to gear up pretty quickly how do you balance those two things so that i mean that's an interesting question that you know as this as this ppp money starts to come to an end um that that everybody you know this is this is a current current problem for everybody so i think in terms of the the, the best advice i would say transparency is really important you know your natural your natural instinct is to want to protect people's staff to put, to protect your staff protect their feelings you know you kind of you know you while you want to give them false hope you want to give sorry you want to give them the hope you don't want to give oh, false yeah. hope so i think that that transparency is the most important aspect tell them what's happening, what you're thinking, what your current situation is. You know, yesterday, you know, we had a call with with all of our team yesterday to say, you know, this is this is what may happen. You know, we're going to be making some hard decisions. You know, we're completely open about how much money we've got, how much money we need to make, you know, what, what our current position is. You know, explain why if we have to furlough people, why we have to do that, why we will be making the choices that we make. Um, I just think being open and honest is the most important aspect so that everybody knows where they stand. You know, that's trying to sugarcoat things doesn't help anybody. I, I agree. I think people appreciate, for the most part, the honesty. They may not like what they hear, yeah. but they appreciate the honesty that goes yeah. along with it. I and agree with and that. The, hardest, the hardest thing at the moment is to look down the road and look at who the most important aspect is keeping the company alive so looking at your looking at your looking at your client base looking at the skill sets of your employees playing the long game you know we're, we're playing the long game we're not i'm not looking three months down the road i'm planning for the very worst case scenario and hope hopefully it's going to be better um, but looking at looking at the skill sets of your staff and what skill sets do you need to keep your company 
running, viable, hopefully profitable, hopefully not losing too much money and pulling together a team that can actually keep you afloat until this comes back. And that's, you know, and that, and even that's really hard because you need, you need different kind of skill sets to do that. And so many of your team members embody many of those skill sets. I mean, it, the, the, the interesting thing is, is about two weeks before this pandemic really broke, we went through last year, we went through this huge strategy um, re-evaluation. We, re, we spent 10 months working on our messaging, working on our internal strategy, working on our systems, working on our processes. And it was a really, and all of our team were really involved in it. And it was, you know, it was a phenomenally fantastic exercise to do. And we finally got all the results together into a document at the middle of February this year. So we brought all our team together and to deliver the results of this of this year long pretty much exercise. And at that at that meeting, and it, this rings this rings in my ears terribly. I remember saying like how so incredibly proud I was of every single person on that team, and I said. God forbid, if anything ever happened and I had to and I had to lay off anyone on this team, I wouldn't know who to choose. I'd have to pick names out of a hat. You said that in February. In February. Because wow. never in my wildest dreams. I mean, we were flying. Like literally in 33 years of business, we have never been as busy, as profitable, as many clients as men we, we've got bookings out to 2023 which is a fantastic thing now but I said that in February and literally wow. two weeks later we're all working remotely wow. from home thinking what on earth is going on hmm. well I want to thank you Sally and and I know that I'm I'm an optimist sometimes yeah. and uh, and I'm I'm optimistic that we will uh, we will be back and you will be Packing venues, um, you know, hopefully not too long in the future, as with many of our organisations. So, thank you for joining us and sharing um, sharing some of your opinions, your views. Um, it's been a, a real pleasure. Okay, yeah, well, thank stuff. you very much for having me, and I will see you at an event Q4 this year, or certainly 2021. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, <Okay>. Sally. <laughs> thank you, Kate. Okay.